Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. After a weekend of bruising headlines, President Trump is ramping up attacks on the Russia investigation while one of his current attorneys tries to explain why he says truth isn't truth. So there's a lot to cover tonight. There's breaking news. The president telling Reuters that he has stayed out of the Mueller probe so far, but could, quote, run it, his words, if he wants to. There's reporting that federal prosecutors are prepping charges against Mr. Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen. There's reporting that Don McGahn, the current White House counsel, has been meeting and talking with Robert Mueller's team. There's also the president's former campaign chairman still waiting for a verdict in his tax evasion and bank fraud trial. And dozens more former intelligence professionals weighing in against the president revoking former CIA director John Brennan's security clearance. As for the president, his anger, at least on Twitter, appears to be growing. This morning he wrote, and I quote, Disgraced and discredited Bob Mueller and his whole group of angry Democrat thugs spent over 30 hours with the White House counsel, only with my approval, for purposes of transparency. He then went on talking about Mueller, writing, Anybody needing that much time when they know there's no Russia collusion is just someone looking for trouble. They are enjoying ruining people's lives and refuse to look at the real corruption on the Democrat side, the lies, the firings, the deleted emails, and so much more. Mueller's angry Dems are looking to impact the election. They are, he concludes, a national disgrace. The president today also railed against Justice Department official Bruce Orr, whose security clearance he's also threatening to yank, and John Brennan. He also tweeted this, which brings us to the assault on the truth portion of our evening. Quote, study the late Joseph McCarthy because we are now in period with Mueller and his gang that make Joseph McCarthy look like a baby. Rigged witch hunt. Now, keep in mind, Senator McCarthy was a demagogue who routinely twisted the truth. Interesting historical fact, Donald Trump's former attorney and close friend was the Weasley and odious lawyer Roy Cohen, who helped McCarthy be that demagogue who routinely twisted the truth. Robert Mueller, until the president began taking shots at him, has always been known and praised by people in both parties for being the exact opposite of McCarthy. But the president would have you believe that McCarthy and Mueller are on the equal footing. That's the place we're in right now place where the gaslight is always on and where the president and people speaking for him believe not just in alternative facts, but apparently believe truth isn't truth. Just listen to what the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, had to say about whether the president should talk to Robert Mueller. What I have to tell you is, look, I'm not going to be rushed into having him testify so that he gets trapped into perjury. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry. Well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation. Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like. I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The president of the United States says I didn't. Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what I, I, I No, I, no, no. This no, is going to become wait, a bad don't, 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 don't. Well, today, Mayor Giuliani tried to kind of clean things up, tweeting 
My statement was not meant as a pontification on moral theology, but one referring to the situation where two people make precisely contradictory statements, the classic he said, she said puzzle. Sometimes further inquiry can reveal the truth, other times it doesn't. Now, whatever you think he was trying to say, there is history here. Orwellian language is nothing new from the president's people and the president himself. It began just after Inauguration Day with the ridiculous lies about crowd size and then Kellyanne Conway's defense of the lies, which is best appreciated by Gaslight. You're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts. Alternative facts. Doesn't that seem so long ago? And yet the crazy craziness of it, it's still crisp. There's no expiration date on that phrase. The president, less than a month ago, in a speech in Kansas City, uttered something which really is something Orwell himself could have written. Just stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. And just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. It's okay, everyone. What you're seeing and what you're reading, it's not what's happening. Actually, none of it is. None of it's real. Sleep well. There's no more threat from North Korea. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Move along. Move along. Before we move along, though, I do just have to show you one other amazing display of truth twisting that Rudy Giuliani attempted this weekend on Chuck Todd's program about the June 20th, uh, uh, the June 2016 meeting in Trump Tower that Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort had with a Russian attorney promising Kremlin dirt on Hillary Clinton. Now, put aside whether you think this was collusion, attempted collusion, desired collusion, totally proper, totally legit. Put that all aside. There are some basic actual facts about the meeting that are known, that are clear, not alternative facts, not untruthful truths. The main facts of the meeting simply are not in dispute. But listen to the man once known as America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, just totally making stuff up. I don't even know if they knew she was Russian at the time. All they had was her they name. They knew she was Russian. I think they knew she was Russian. But Well, they okay. knew it when they met with her, not when they set up the meeting. You, you told me, you, you asked me, you know, did they show an intention to do anything with Russians? Well, all they knew is that a woman with a Russian name wanted to meet with them. They didn't know she was a, a representative of the Russian government. And indeed, she's not a representative of the Russian government. They didn't know she was Russian. They didn't know she was representative of the Russian government. In the immortal words of Mike Wallace, come on, come on. There are emails. Let's put them up. Rod Goldstone to Donald Trump Jr. Emin asked that I schedule a meeting with you and the Russian government attorney who's flying over from Moscow for this Thursday. I believe you're aware of the meeting. And so wondered if 3 p.m. or later on Thursday works for you. I assume it would be at your office. In case you missed it, that is Russian government attorney and flying over from Moscow. Remember, it was all about a promise of dirt on Hillary Clinton. Here's Don Jr. How about three at our office? Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you helping set it up. Thanks for setting up the meeting with the Russian, the Russian government attorney. Those aren't alternative facts. Those are just facts. And those were the droids they were looking for. We're now in the breaking news. The president's interview with Reuters, CNN Jim Acosta, is that he joins us now from the White House. There certainly seems to be fairly a dramatic ramping up from the rhetoric of the president when it comes to Mueller, his team and the probe overall. Oh, that's right, Anderson. We seem to be uh, through the uh, looking glass here tonight. Uh, one thing you can say uh, about uh, their, their view of the truth here, it does seem to be pretty important to the president. 
uh, when he said to Reuters in that interview earlier today that he views sitting down with the special counsel, Robert Mueller, as a perjury trap. Uh, if uh, truth isn't truth, if uh, the truth is a moving target, uh, then the president obviously should not be concerned about sitting down with Robert Mueller uh, and the special counsel team. Uh, obviously, if he's worried about perjuring himself, uh, they, they must have some concept of what the truth is. Uh, but having said that, Anderson, while they're ramping up the rhetoric on Robert Mueller, uh, the president in that Reuters interview was sort of lowering the rhetoric, softening the rhetoric on Russia. He said that there is a scenario he can envision where he could see lifting sanctions or relaxing uh, sanctions on the Russians in exchange for their cooperation, perhaps in uh, the Ukraine or in Syria. Of course, it, it begs the question, what exactly would that involve? I can't imagine Vladimir Putin uh, pulling uh, Russian-backed forces out of Crimea or eastern Ukraine. Uh, but it is a, a, a rather striking contradiction there, a rather striking contrast. While the president is ramping up the rhetoric on Robert Mueller, calling him a disgrace and so on, he's offering these exit lanes to Vladimir Putin. In terms of the news about uh, Don McGahn, what he may or may not have told Mueller, how's the White House been reacting to that? Well, so far, from what we understand, the president is unnerved. Uh, he, is un he is uneasy about what uh, Don McGahn may have said to the special counsel's team. Uh, it's not exactly clear that the White House uh, or the president's legal team fully understands what Don McGahn uh, told Robert Mueller's team. Uh, but at the same time, Anderson, I can tell you, uh, I, along with some of our uh, Justice Department colleagues here at CNN, have been talking to sources all day long about this. And a source told me uh, about uh, this decision to allow Don McGahn to cooperate with Robert Mueller, sit down with Robert Mueller. And essentially what they viewed at that time was uh, is that this was not a waiving of executive privilege, that this was allowing uh, Don McGahn to speak with a spe special counsel, uh, but that at a later date they could exert uh, or assert executive privilege uh, over uh, any, mater any material or any information that Don McGahn uh, gave to the special counsel. Now, you have a lot of critics out there. We've been talking to legal experts who say that that just is not going to hold up. Uh, but that is an interesting uh, thinking that they had at the time that perhaps they were letting Don McGahn speak to the special counsel while at the same time down the road thinking, well, perhaps they could block Mueller from using uh, any or all of that information that he gave over to the special counsel's office. All right, Anderson. Jim Acosta of the White House. Jim, thanks. I want to talk a bit more about the breaking news. Joining us now, strategic analyst and author, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters. Colonel, thanks for, for being with us. The notion yes. from the president that he could, quote, run the Mueller probe if he wanted to, what, do you, uh, what does that say to you? Well, it says that he does not understand the law, for one thing. But also, when I heard that, for, for whatever reason, I flashed on an incident from the 1990s when a drunken Boris Yeltsin grabbed the baton from a bandmaster and tried to, to lead the band. And, of course, everything fell apart. Trump just seems to think he can do anything, and it's a result of being having yes men and yes women around him so for so very, very long. But it's a preposterous, absolutely preposterous uh, claim. And you have the president uh, today saying, even if I am telling the truth, that makes me a liar. You have Giuliani over the weekend saying truth isn't truth. Um, I, I mean, it does seem like we're operating in some alternate universe sometimes. You know, I, mean, I use the term Orwellian in the beginning, but I mean, these are literally things Orwell would have written. Well, actually, I'm starting to see Giuliani as a left bank intellectual in Paris in the 1940s. Um, in philosophy, there's something called coherence theory, and it's, it's especially postmodern philosophy, the, the, the crazy stuff. And it's the idea that if everybody agrees on something, then it's true. Now, I'm simplifying. But if that's, you know, if you take coherence theory and all Trump's followers believe that something's true, then it's reality. 
So, um, and, but to, to be very, very so, so serious. So you're, you're imagining Giuliani as a left bank? Yeah, in a beret with a glass of wine, a cigarette, you know, <laughs> okay. to wrap it with Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know, but seriously, about Giuliani, I, I cannot help feeling somewhat sorry for him. And there's a lesson in Giuliani's behavior for all of us, uh, for you, for me, for anybody ever associated with the media. And that's you need to know when to get off stage. And Giuliani clearly is seduced by, you know, the, the bright lights, big city. You know, he, he was a star. Everybody respected him. People loved him. And he, he, he wants that again, obviously. And instead, he's turned into a, a pathetic travesty of himself. And frankly, he, he, you know, he may be a diversion, but he's doing great harm to the president uh, by running off his mouth. Yeah, Kenny Rogers and that song, you know, need to know when to hold them and know when to run. Mm -hmm. Giuliani simply, I mean, not telling the truth, though, yesterday about them not knowing the lawyer was Russian and at least claiming to be representing the Russian government. I mean, Giuliani, do you think he's doing more harm here than than good or is he doing exactly what the president wants him to do, which is just throw as much spaghetti against the refrigerator door, see what sticks and what confuses people? Well, first of all, Anderson, I've never pictured you as a Kenny Rogers fan. <laughs> but, but as for Giuliani, it's not just Giuliani. All these people that are trotted out by the White House, they need to do their homework. Because even if you want to do propaganda, even if you want to lie outright to the American people, you've got to be on the same sheet of music. You've got to, you've got to get your lies straight. And it's not even a question of not getting the facts straight for the White House. They cannot get the lies straight. And it just makes it worse and worse and worse for the president. Do you think we're at a, a, an inflection point in this presidency? I mean, you have, you know, the, the Manafort verdict coming, the Michael, uh, you know, possible charges against Michael Cohen, uh, you know, wh- whatever Mueller is, is, is going to decide. Um, or frankly, I mean, I feel like I've asked that question a million times at different points over this presidency. So I don't know why this would be an inflection point any more than anything else. No, I think that's right. The, every day is an inflection point of some sort for this presidency. But again, as I've always maintained, I have great faith in Robert Mueller. We don't know what he's got up his sleeve. But when I look at it, and in the context, for instance, of the Don, Don McGahn testimony, um, everybody is making comparisons to Watergate. I think that's utterly wrong. If you read the externals of what Mueller is doing, it looks much more like a classic Justice Department investigation of a mob boss. You can't get the mob boss because he didn't pull the trigger, so you go after the money. You go after the tax evasion. You go after money laundering. You go after bank fraud. uh, And you go after perjury. And so we shall see what emerges from all this. But I just think President Trump is extremely worried, extremely worried. And that was even manifested in his interview with, with, I think it was Reuters today, where he made this off-the-wall remark about, well, you know, he would like to, to lift sanctions on Russia if, if a few conditions prevailed. Well, he knows at this point that he can't arbitrarily lift sanctions on Russia. Putin knows it. But I believe that our president, our president, was signaling Vladimir Putin that, hey, I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Really? You think that's what that was? There's no other explanation for it because he knows he can't lift the sanctions. I think, as I have maintained all along, Putin's got a grip on this man. Tragic for everybody. But Putin may even be losing patience. I would love to have heard what was said behind closed doors at that Helsinki meeting. But if I was betting on one thing having been said, it would be Putin 
telling him we need these sanctions lifted because Russia is hurting economically. Now, we shall see what Mueller comes up with, but I, I cannot help but feel that while Trump is a buffoon and many other things besides, what we often miss in the day-to-day hubbub and the, the tomfoolery, the clowning, is that this is a tragic time for our nation, for our, for our image in the world, for our constitutional order. And so ultimately, all those goofy remarks by Giuliani and Kellyanne Conway, they're not really funny. They're deadly serious. Yeah. Uh, Ralph Peters, before I let you go, the folks in the control room would like uh, me to, uh, to make those Kenny Rogers lyrics clear. They are, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. I will treasure this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still thinking of Giuliani in a red beret drinking a sip of wine. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, thanks very much. More perspective now. Joining us is CNN legal analyst Ann Milgram and two CNN political analysts, journalistic legend Carl Bernstein and bipartisan White House legend David uh, Gergen. And, I mean, the president telling uh, Reuters that he could run this... Uh, the Mueller investigation. Does that make any sense to you? It, it makes no sense, and it's actually just wrong. I mean, if you think about it, the one thing we know for sure is that the president is not above the law. If the president was above the law, it would say that in the United States Constitution. So there is no question that the president cannot take over an investigation of which he is the subject and just say it goes away. Um, if he was the king in a country, maybe he could do that. But in a democracy, in a constitutional country like we live in, that's just not possible. It, David, does the... I guess maybe the question is, how rattled does the president appear to be when it comes to Mueller? I mean, you have tweets this weekend, today, now in this Reuters interview. Uh, He seems to be extremely nervous and getting more so by the day and getting more irrational uh, by the day. We have, uh, yeah, I'm not reminded of Kenny Rogers, but when I heard about that, I thought, there's another way to look at this. There was Dante in the Divine Comedy said, in the middle of our lives, I came across a dark wood. And the straight way was lost. Hmm. And I sort of think we're in that very dark wood right now because the president is not making sense. He continually attacks people. I saw an account today that over the course of his presidency, he has issued attacks on 484 individuals or institutions. That's on top of his 5,000 falsehoods. This is quite a show. Carl, I mean... Does any of it matter? I mean, you know, I, you know, this could have been pretty much any night in which in the news this kind of stuff is being reported and the president's doing the, you know, these kind of tweets for the people who believe in him, for, for his base. Is it just about sowing enough doubt, sowing confusion that people kind of throw up their hands? Well, that's certainly part of his intent, uh, that all of this is intended for the base because the base is his only protection at this point, because he is in a panic. And let's build on what uh, David was speculating. Uh, I've talked to people in the White House in the last few days, and they say he's unhinged, that he is totally obsessed by the Mueller investigation, that only he knows the facts, if indeed he's capable of parsing the facts, that he's not making sense in terms of a coherent defense But rather, he is trying to do everything he can to affect the midterm elections, to reach his base, to put fear into other Republicans who may not be part of that base enough to win the midterms. Because if he does not win the midterms, there is a cumulative effect of everything we are seeing, including 
The McGann story is very important because what the McGann story is, is, as his lawyer said tonight, it's not that McGahn incriminated the president, but rather he contributed to the matrix of showing the president's obstruction of justice in a very, very definitive way, as well as showing Although we don't know collusion. what McGahn said Let's to, to Mueller. the word. Uh, well, actually, I think we do know some of it, and some of it has, has been reported. And part of that is indeed about what happened. I'll give you one example, uh, and I think we can reliably say uh, that, that McGahn talked about attempts to fire uh, Attorney General Sessions by uh, Rance Priebus was asked by the president to fire Attorney General Sessions or obtain his resignation. And Priebus refused. And of course, a few days later, uh, Priebus was out. Uh, now, in, in a skeletal form, that was reported by Vanity Fair, but it's of huge importance in the whole pattern of what Trump has done to obstruct goes to what McGahn talked about. It's part of a matrix. It's part of a damning matrix. It's not incriminating uh, by itself, as his lawyer said tonight, perhaps, because his lawyer said tonight to clarify things, he did not incriminate the president. Mm. Uh, but did he contribute to that matrix, to that damning matrix? He absolutely did. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to continue the discussion uh, shortly. Later, Paul Manafort waiting for a verdict. And Michael Cohen waiting for possible federal charges, perhaps a world of legal trouble. More ahead. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. By the way, my entire staff here did not believe I knew the whole lyrics to Kenny Rogers. I have a song. I'm very upset. Anyway, talking tonight about President Trump's conversation with Reuters and the news he made. He says the, he hasn't given much thought to stripping Robert Mueller's security clearance, but did not rule it out. He also declined to say whether he'll talk to the Mueller team. And as you know, this unfolded at the end of an already busy day, characterized by a flood of presidential tweets on the Russia probe, John Brennan and others back with Ann Milgram, Carl Bernstein and, uh, and David Gergen. David, I mean, you see the president throwing out some of the most loaded terms in American history and the attacks on the Mueller probe, McCarthyism, the idea that John Dean was a rat in the Nixon administration. He's calling, you know, people on the Mueller team thugs. The idea that, I mean, Paul Manafort is getting, you know, getting it tougher than Al Capone. Does that serve the president well? No. No, I don't think so. What it may serve the president is just contributing to an exhaustion factor. I think people are so tired of this, this torrent of insults and barbs and doing everything except being president. Uh, this is all so unpresidential. But, you know, Anderson, even so, the, t the clock is ticking now. You remember Rudy Giuliani has said, you know, we're not going to go and, uh, and testify at all to Mueller after Labor Day. And we don't want to think Mueller ought to do anything after Labor Day because it's too close to the midterm elections. That's only two weeks away. Um, and Mueller doesn't have much time to act. Otherwise, this thing could all be put off till after the first of the year. And I think that I think I'd drive a lot of us crazy. We want to see a resolution 
And when, when uh, the idea of it being put off, does the, would that mean, I mean, if there it was a decision by Mueller, you know, not to have anything that could influence the election for 60 days, could he still continue... I mean, he could still continue his investigation yes. and all this stuff. It's not as if he's releasing information. It, he would continue his investigation, but what he wouldn't do is anything that could be public or anything. So he and, wouldn't and be to, serving subpoenas. Exactly. Or, and he'd be incredibly cautious about that to make sure that there was nothing that could come out that looked like he was interfering with an election. Let's say he'd subpoenaed tons of telephone records. They could go through them. If he was already in conversation with witnesses, he could have those conversations. But he wouldn't do anything that might, that might sort of raise public attention during that 60-day period. Hmm. Uh, what do you make of, uh, you know, of some of the, 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 the language that the president, I mean, calling, th- you know, uh, federal employees who are working on this thugs is. Yeah, I is mean, it's, it's stunning. And it is. I, th- I think it is really disappointing. I mean, criminal prosecutors, it, their job is to follow the law and the facts in, a, in any case and to sort of argue that they are essentially criminals. Right. Basically going out and being politically motivated themselves. It's just it's it's a really sad day, I think, um, for government. And it's just completely at odds with the people I know who work in the space. And I myself a criminal prosecutor for many years. Carl, the president is also faced with the looming publication of a book by your longtime colleague, Bob Woodward. Any sense of whether he's worried about that and how much? That, that indeed, when people I talk to in the last though, three, four days say that indeed is something the president has expressed great worry and concern about, about what is going to be in Bob's book. He's terrified about what Cohen uh, his former counsel, his former fixer, uh, might say to authorities and what Cohen has been shopping around in terms of perhaps information that, that he might have uh, about many matters of interest uh, to Mueller. Uh, and, and then we also get back to this question of, as evidenced by this throwing around this McCarthyite uh, notion, There is only one McCarthyite that we are seeing in all of this, and that is the president of the United States. You think he's the Joe McCarthy here? I don't think there's any question about it. I said something about it back in in February on on our air. If you look at what McCarthy did, he attacked the legitimate institutions of the government. He attacked the State Department for having communists in it. He attacked the, the... Uh, USIA. He attacked the Voice of America. He attacked other government uh, departments. He tried to say, even as the president and those around him have been saying, he essentially said there is a deep state uh, riddled with communists that we have to be concerned about. And he was making it all up. And yes, the president has, has consistently looked. He learned at the knee, as you pointed out, of Roy Cohen. Cohen was more than his lawyer. He was his mentor. Uh, And Cohen's tactics were McCarthy's tactics. And throughout his business life, uh, Trump's tactics have been Cohen's tactics and McCarthy's tactics. And the birtherism question is a McCarthyite tactic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. David, it is pretty interesting. And calling Mueller a thug. David, it is pretty interesting that if you actually believe Joe McCarthy was, a, you know, not a good guy and, and a bad person, you wouldn't necessarily hire Roy Cohen, who enabled and worked for Joe McCarthy. I mean, if, if you thought Joe McCarthy w- was abhorrent, you know, Roy Cohen was part and parcel right. of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and Carl's been saying absolutely right. And that is Joe McCarthy was one of the great villains in American history. Uh, and he will always be remembered not only for destroying uh, the the trust, trustworthiness of many institutions, but destroying the lives of many of the people he attacked. And, you know, the way that Donald Trump goes after individuals and institutions, some 484 since he became president, uh, you know, is is a, a replica of what uh, what Roy Cohn schooled uh, uh, Donald Trump in years ago. His whole Trump's whole confrontational, you know, you know, let's take it to the courts. I'm going to beat you up, bullying kind of style. That comes right out of the Roy Cohn uh, playbook. Yeah, it's a dirty playbook. Carl Bernstein, appreciate David. No Gergen. president has ever used McCarthyite tactics. Mm. Uh, Ann Milgram, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Coming up, another ro- ro- role Rudy Giuliani has apparently taken up, taunting former CIA director John Brennan. We'll explain how. Also, the very latest from Colorado, where charges have now been filed. This is just a stunning story in the murder of a pregnant woman and her two young daughters. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. Rudy Giuliani joined in President Trump's assault on former CIA director John Brennan today. The president's private lawyer posted this tweet a day after Brennan said he was considering a lawsuit to challenge the revocation of his security clearance last week. Quote, to John Brennan, Giuliani wrote, Today, President Trump granted our request, Jay Sekulow and me, to handle your case. After threatening, if you don't, it would be just like Obama's red lines. Come on, John, you're not a blowhard. Giuliani's taunt comes as dozens more former senior U.S. intelligence officials added their names to a letter denouncing the president for the revocation of Brennan's clearance. Joining me now, two people who signed the original statement, former director of national intelligence James Clapper and former Obama deputy national security advisor and former deputy CIA director of Real Haynes. Director Clapper, should Brennan, in your opinion, take legal action against the president to prevent other officials from having their clearances revoked? Well, that's certainly a... uh uh, an option, and I know John is uh, considering it. And uh, there are uh, several uh, legal activists who have pr- approached all of us uh, that have been threatened with this. And in John's case, where his is clearance apparently been already revoked, uh, and I think uh, that's a decision yet to be made. That's certainly one option. I will say, just to clarify, though, that John's interest is not in attempting to restore his clearance with a suit. His point would be to make a larger a larger point, which is his right to speak and, by extension, uh, others, which is, uh, by the way, if I may just take a moment to, cl- to amplify something I said yesterday on State of the Union, the, that's, the issue here is not parsing John's rhetoric. The issue is his right to speak and, by extension, others' right to speak. The um, real. I, I want to read you something that the president tweeted today. He said, I hope John Brennan, the worst CIA director in our country's history, brings a lawsuit. It will then be very easy to get all of his records, texts, emails and documents to show not only poor job he did, but how he was involved with a Mueller rigged witch hunt. He won't sue. Um, could I mean, you worked with with Brennan for uh, for many years. You were his deputy of the CIA for, t- for two years. Could the president get the records and then cherry pick them if he wanted to? I mean, honestly, it's so hard to parse that tweet to begin with. It's um, it's not at all clear to me how the records at the agency would have any relevance on a First Amendment retaliation claim, which presumably would be the kind of claim that would be brought in that scenario. He certainly has access to the records that John Brennan had access to. I mean, they're all right. part of the government's records in that respect. And, uh, and I certainly don't think they would reflect anything along the lines of what he's characterized. But 
part of what's so depressing about this situation is that we're forced to respond to this kind of dialogue as opposed to, you know, the kind of public discourse that you hope you would engage in on these types of issues where you're really trying to understand the issues better and get to them. And instead, we're, we're you know, getting trapped into the sort of name calling and immature statements. Well, I mean, we're in an age where the president of the United States is calling, you know, people working for the government thugs, Giuliani, I think you just termed stormtroopers. I mean, it's yeah, a... Yeah, blowhard, right. right? Like all of these things that are, yeah, so much for the, the language of presidents, like, you know, think not what you what your country will do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? I mean, right. the president has such an enormous responsibility and has such an incredible platform for shaping the public discourse in the United States. And that's he's certainly the discourse shaping the public that we discourse, now have. It's just right, exactly. what direction he's shaping it in. Director Clapper, the president has said that the reason so many for, former intelligence officers are coming forward condemning uh, the, the, uh, the taking away Brennan's security clearances because clearance is, in his words, quote, worth great prestige and big dollars. Is there a truth to that? Well, it could be for some people. Uh, it doesn't really apply uh, uh, to me or, or uh, I don't think to John. I, I uh, you know, I've been eligible uh, for access to classified information since uh, September 1963, so it's gone on 55 years. Wow. Now there have been intervals in there where I didn't have access, and that's the difference here. We, we left uh, the government uh, in January of, of uh, uh, 17 still eligible, but we, of course, don't have access. So for me, it doesn't have a direct impact. It could on others, uh, depending on uh, how this is applied. Well, that's the thing of real. I mean, the president is not just threatening people who are out of government. He's threatening people who are still uh, working in government. I mean, Bruce Orr is is currently at the Department of Justice. I mean, he yeah. uh, secured clearance that it's actually part of his job. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I think actually the Bruce Orr piece is something that we should be focusing on, because in my view, one should at least be raising the question of whether or not that's having a chilling action on other employees of the Department of Justice, for example, who are concerned about their security clearance being pulled because of the activities they're engaged in, the investigations that they're doing, that sort of thing that the president may or may not like. And I think it is, you know, particularly concerning, not only are we undermining, in a sense, freedom of expression, and as Jim, I think, rightly points out, we're not really thinking about the John Brennans and Jim Clappers and, you know, Haydens of the world, but we're actually thinking about so many other career officers who may be, you know, formers who are have a security clearance, rely on it in their job, maybe working in the defense industry for the broader defense of the United States government, but then feel chilled in terms of their speech. But then, as you point out, the Bruce Ors of the world, who that means that if they feel chilled in, in terms of their actions within their institutions, could also be undermining the institutions and their ability to protect against these types of violations on our principles. Right. I mean, you're talking about people, you know, the president saying people are making big bucks. There are, there's, there are many, many people, former intelligence people, former military people who work for military companies or companies doing business with the U.S. government that do rely on having a clearance. Uh, and, and I mean, a lot of that is work which does, you know, I mean, whether you like it or not, it does, it is part of the U.S. government. It, it benefits the United States, whatever, whether you like the policies or not. Yeah, part of our national security structure, without question. Um, George, Anderson, yeah, if I ahead. could just uh, add one point here uh, to this discussion. Uh, as another one of the uh, enemies list is Mike Hayden. 
And I would just point out that Mike's been out of the government for nine years. He has nothing to do with the Russian investigation, and no way has he been able to officially touch that. So that just illustrates how political, really, this list is. And as Evriel correctly points out, it's particularly egregious with Bruce Orr. Yeah. Uh, James Clapper, thank you. Evriel Haynes, great to have you on the program. Thank Thank you you very much. much. Coming up, there's breaking news out of Colorado. Charges have now been filed in the deaths of a pregnant woman, her two young daughters. I'll tell you who was charged and what authorities are saying. Also, the president's former campaign chair and former fixer, both in legal hot water tonight. And the temperature that is rising. The latest on both next. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. There's breaking news tonight in a horrific case out of Colorado. The killings of a 34-year-old pregnant woman and her two little girls, ages four and three. Tonight, charges have been filed. Randy Kay joins us now with the latest. What's going on? Well, Anderson, uh, late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. He was charged with first-degree murder in their deaths. He was charged with unlawful termination of a pregnancy. His wife was 15 weeks pregnant. And he was also charged with three counts of tampering with a deceased human body. But what was interesting today was they unsealed this court affidavit, which had a whole lot of new information in it. Uh, One of the things that it says is that Chris Watts actually confessed confessed to killing his wife. He says, according to the affidavit, that he did so because he had asked her for a separation, looking to end the marriage apparently, and then uh, he said it was an emotional conversation, but a civil conversation. He went out for a bit, came back, and she had, he says, she had strangled one of their girls already, and she was blue on the bed, and she was actively strangling the second daughter. So he flew into a rage, as the affidavit says, and killed his wife. Um, that's his story. That's what he told police. The affidavit also says that he was having an extramarital affair with a co-worker, which police say is something he actually denied in earlier interviews with investigators, but they discovered that over the course of their investigation. But we, as you know, have been following this since last week, and this is what we found um, in terms of how this case has all unfolded. What, girls? Mommy has a baby in her belly. A moment of joy that's turned to pain and mystery. That was Shanann Watts telling her two daughters that she was pregnant again. Four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste were thrilled. I love you, girl. I got the baby a hug. You want to give the baby a hug? There's also video of her sharing the news with her husband of nearly six years, Chris Watts. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Guess, guess when you want to, it happens. But not long after that video was taken, something terrible happened. On Monday last week, Shanann and her daughters went missing. Then came Tuesday, and Shanann's husband, Chris, began a series of public pleas for their safe return. Just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete with, without anybody here. I just want them back. <laughs> I, just, I just want them to come back. And if, if they're not safe right now, that's what's, that's what's tearing me apart. Authorities searched the home and canvassed the neighborhood. Two days later, a grisly discovery. We have been able to recover um, a uh, body that we're quite certain is uh, Shanann Watts' body. 
Authorities say the woman's body was recovered on the property of a petroleum and natural gas exploration company where Chris Watts used to work. The bodies of two children were found nearby. Then another bizarre turn. The desperate husband and father, who had pleaded for his family's safe return, was now suddenly the prime suspect in their disappearance. In the late hours of Wednesday evening, the husband, Chris Watts, was taken into custody and was transported to the Well County Jail. Like, no, like, he wouldn't do anything. And then I seen his interview, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, something's not right. On Facebook, with emotions running high, Shanann's brother directly accused Chris Watts. This piece of blank, may he rot in hell. He killed my pregnant sister and my two nieces. Police have not suggested a motive. Before his arrest, Watts told reporters that he and his wife had exchanged words. It wasn't like an argument. We had an emotional conversation, but I'll leave it at that. Still, on Shanann's Facebook page, a portrait of a happy family and a woman in love. I got a friend friend request from Chris on Facebook, and I was like, oh, what the heck, I'm never going to meet him. Except, one thing led to another, and eight years later, we have two kids, we live in Colorado, and he's the best thing that has ever happened to me. It's so awful to see her talking about about him. Mm, So lovingly, too. Um, what we know about where the bodies were found, Anderson, we have some new information on that. He says that he loaded all three bodies into his truck and took them to this oil company where he used to work. He was actually fired the same day he was arrested. Um, he was also given a map by authorities, according to the affidavit, and he was able to pinpoint on the map where the bodies were. Uh, Shanann Watts was found in a shallow grave. The two girls were found nearby in oil tanks where police say their bodies had been submerged for four days. So I just don't understand. If he's claiming he killed her to protect or in a rage whatever, why would he have hidden the bodies? That's what doesn't make sense. I mean, we know that his team has asked for DNA samples to be taken from the girls' necks. They asked the judge that, possibly to prove that it was the mother, not the father, who did this, but that request was denied. But it doesn't make any sense. You'd think somebody would have called authorities, right. called police, asked for help. You don't hide the bodies and then do all those yeah. television interviews. Randy Kay, thanks very much. Want to check in with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Or you hide the bodies and then you do do all of those television interviews. That's Mm. what they're going to have to figure out on the prosecution side of that case. Boy, what a case that is. So tonight we're taking on the case of the truth, Anderson. Uh, Can the president do what he just said, which is take over the Mueller probe? Can he? Should he? And when it comes to what he seems to fear the most, it's the interview. Why is he really ducking the Mueller interview? We have some great guests who know him personally and who understand the legal issues personally and they're going to test the case for us tonight. All right. About 10 minutes from now, Chris, thanks very much. Coming up, two of President Trump's longtime associates in legal jeopardy tonight. Jurors in the trial of his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, are still deliberating a long list of alleged financial crimes. And sources tell her telling CNN that the president's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, the fix-it guy, could be facing criminal indictment from federal prosecutors by the end of the month. More ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
two of the president's former associates are in legal jeopardy tonight. On the left, of course, is his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Jurors are still considering uh, 18 counts of alleged financial crimes. On the right is his former personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, sources are telling CNN that federal prosecutors are preparing criminal charges against him. Could announce them very soon. More in the Manafort trial coming up. But first, Bryn Gingrass joins us with more on Cohen. What have you learned? Yeah, Anderson, two weeks left in August. And what sources are telling my colleagues is that the SDNY federal prosecutors are keenly aware of the midterm elections coming up, and they don't want any of their decisions to influence the election. So that's why we have this end of August deadline for this possible charges against Michael Cohen. But listen, we've always known the federal prosecutors have been looking into Cohen's business practices, possibilities of bank fraud, tax fraud, campaign finance violations. But the New York Times really focused that in a reporting saying that it's possible Michael Cohen lied to lenders in order to secure up to $20 million in loans for his taxi businesses. $20 million is a lot of money and could be very significant to this investigation. Of course, when we talk about the uh, probe into whether or not he uh, gave this hush payment to Stormy Daniels, if he committed any campaign finance violations, that would be something that, of course, the Trump administration would be interested in hearing if charges do come in the next few weeks, Anderson. Do we know anything about a possible deal with prosecutors? Is that a possibility? And what, if anything, could that mean for the Mueller investigation? Yeah, we don't know if he has made a deal. Sure, there's a possibility. We haven't heard that a deal has been struck just yet. Of course, we know that Michael Cohn has been very vocal, that he's willing to give information in order to strike a deal. And as we understand it, if he does strike a deal, it will be with SDNY, but it also could be with other investigations like the Mueller investigation. So at this point, we don't know what Michael Cohen knows or what he can actually offer investigators, but that's certainly something we hope to find out very soon, maybe even sooner than we think. All right. Bryn uh, Gingrass, uh, appreciate a fascinating uh, turn of events for Michael Cohen. We'll continue to follow that. The jury in the Paul Manafort trial has gone home for the day, again, without delivering a verdict. Shimon Procupes is at the courthouse for us. So no verdict today. There was some activity at the courthouse. What happened? Yeah, so there was, Anderson. We really didn't get to see the jury today except in the morning uh, and in the afternoon, some nine hours after they started their deliberations. They went home. Uh, but there was activity in the courtroom, uh, a lot of secret meetings between the judge and the attorneys. Uh, this has happened often at this trial, and there were two more today. The judge sealing uh, those conferences, their bench conferences, done outside of the jury, outside uh, of the public, and they were sealed. So we don't know why that is. We don't know what they were discussing. Uh, clearly, the jury here is still working, going through a lot of the evidence that they heard and some of the 18 counts that they're looking at. But really, Anderson, no word, none from the jury today as to what they're thinking. And, and when do deliberations begin tomorrow? So they'll be back tomorrow, first thing in the morning, 930. Uh, they get here and they're expected to just go right back into the jury room and uh, begin their deliberations. They have already, interestingly enough, put in their lunch orders. Uh, today, the judge, before the jurors left uh, for the day, say, asking them if they had submitted their lunch orders. They said they did. So perhaps, maybe, they're expecting a, a long day here tomorrow as well. And you talked about the, the, the discussions at the bench with the attorneys. Are the attorneys and Manafort, are they there all day long just waiting? 
Yeah, exactly. Yes, they are. So Manafort, obviously, he's been in jail uh, since this trial started, so he stays in the courthouse. And the attorneys, uh, for, his, for his attorneys, have been spending a lot of their time at a hotel across the street where a lot of the media has been gathered. Uh, so we all kind of hang out together. Uh, there's a hotel directly across the street from, from the courthouse. And what usually happens is when there's a note or perhaps there's something the judge wants to discuss, they'll get a phone call. Uh, and usually that's how we know something's going on because the attorneys will then rush into court and then we all kind of chase them into the courthouse. And on a Friday, the president said the Manafort was a good man. Do we know if the judge has reacted to that at all? No, we don't know. Uh, we don't know if the jury has even seen any uh, of that reaction from the president. Uh, the judge has not addressed that issue uh, in the court. Uh, is you know, the jury know that sequestered? Attorneys, the jury is not sequestered, Anderson. You know, some people have questioned that as to why uh, they were not sequestered, given all the publicity surrounding this case. But no, they're free to leave in the morning. We've even seen jurors outside smoking here. So they're free to leave during okay. the day uh, to take small breaks. All right. Shimon Prokibes, thanks very much. A reminder, sure. don't miss Full Circle, our daily interactive newscast on Facebook. You pick some of the stories that we get to uh, that we cover. You can see it weeknights at 625 p.m. Eastern at Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. If you haven't checked out, you should. It's a fun show. The news continues right now. I want to hand it over to Chris Cuomo. Primetime starts now, Chris. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.